Amen. Thank you. Yes, please bear with me if I have a sudden coughing fit or if I need to take a drink. Um, yeah, I've been rather full of cold this week. Uh, but Happy New Year. I think I'm still allowed to say that. I'm never entirely sure at what point you tip over into the social awkwardness of wishing someone Happy New Year and they look at you like it's mid-January. So anyway, but Happy New Year. Um, I hope everyone had a good Christmas. That also probably feels like a million years ago now, but I hope you did have a good Christmas. I had a good Christmas. I made a very conscious decision that I was going to embrace the joyful chaos that I knew would be Christmas 2022, because uh, myself and my husband and my two kids, we were traveling around the country. We were seeing lots of different people, staying in lots of different beds. At one point, there were eight children and a dog and a lot of grown-ups, and it was chaos. But I made that decision but even before Christmas that I was going to embrace that joyful chaos, partly because this year felt like the first Christmas in a really long time it felt normal. Does anyone else feel that? That there was just this sense of, oh yeah, this is what it's normally like at Christmas. I get that COVID isn't gone, and I know that if you're somebody who's working in the NHS or in social care, that absolutely the aftermath of COVID is still very much with us. But I think most of us will have felt a real difference in how you felt Christmas was this year compared to the last few years. If you think back to Christmas 2020, maybe you don't want to, um, but if Christmas 2020, we were in the midst, weren't we, of lockdowns and we couldn't really see anyone. Um, you could see the people in your bubble on Christmas Day for a few hours and that was it. You couldn't stay over anyone's house. It was right in the, the thick of the pandemic and it was very strange, very weird. And then Christmas 2021... It was not quite like that. It wasn't like Christmas 2020. It wasn't quite a normal Christmas either, was it? There were still lots of testing. There was gatherings that you had to kind of decide whether to go to this gathering or that gathering. You had to prioritize who it was you wanted to see. For, for us, my mother-in-law's 70th birthday was on Christmas Eve, so we basically spent most of December avoiding people because we wanted to make sure we got to that gathering on Christmas Eve, and so we just spent the entirety of December trying to avoid getting ill and getting COVID, uh, and it was a very strange time. So I look back on Christmas 2021, and I feel like that was like an interim period, wasn't it? It wasn't quite like Christmas 2020, with the full effects of lockdown and school closures and church meeting online. But we didn't yet have the joy that we felt this Christmas of feeling like the pandemic was behind us and Christmas could be fully celebrated like we used to. Interim periods are uncomfortable, aren't they? They can be tricky to navigate. You've got the promise of what's going to come. You might even have some evidence of what it's going to be like but you're not there yet. It's like looking through a misted-up window. You can make out some of what's on the other side, but it's not clear. This term at the Oak, we are looking at a, a series on the kingdom of God, and last week, Jack did an amazing job starting off the series, looking at the big picture of God's kingdom through the Bible. I'd really encourage you, if you, if you weren't here last week, if you missed it, 
pick it up and listen to it. It's on our website or on the Church Suite app, and it's a great thing to do when you're washing up or cooking, I find, is to, um, to catch up on the, on the talks. And I'd really encourage you to do that, because Jack does this great job at, at setting the scene for us. He took us on a, a whistle-stop tour through the Bible, looking at the kingdom of God. And he talked about God's kingdom being the place and time of God's reign. I've got this quote from Graham Goldsworthy. God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. So not a physical place in the sense of an earthly kingdom, not a city or a country. Instead, God's rule is any place where he reigns, where he is in charge and his will is done. Jack last week was unwrapping the story of God's kingdom. It literally was unwrapping it. We played past the parcel. It was great. And um, he talked about how the kingdom of God was partially fulfilled in the Old Testament with God's people, the Israelites. But the fulfillment of God's kingdom was promised through the Old Testament prophets. The kingdom was made present when Jesus came to earth and announced his ministry. But it won't be fully fulfilled until Jesus returns at the end of history and we experience God's perfect kingdom. So we live in in-between times. It's a bit like Christmas 2021. There was those elements then of a normal Christmas, but it wasn't fully realized. And as followers of Jesus who live now in this time, the time since Jesus came to earth and died and was raised from the dead and ascended into heaven, and the time when he comes back, we are living in in-between times. The power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us who follow Jesus. There is evidence of God's reign in our lives and in the world. There is healing, there is provision. Lives get changed and transformed by his love and grace. And yet, God's kingdom is not fully realized. There is injustice, there's poverty, there's sickness and death. So this morning, we're going to be exploring a bit of what does it mean to be living in this time, this time of both now and not yet of God's kingdom. And the passage we're going to be looking at this morning is from Luke chapter 12. It's just a few verses. We're just going to keep coming back to these verses this morning. But seek his his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. So I want to look at three things this morning. I want to look at how I think the journey matters, how we're called to be a people of hope, and I want to unpack, spend a bit of time unpacking what Jesus means when he says, do not be afraid, little flock. So first of all, the journey matters. Let's just spend a little bit of time addressing why God has chosen to implement his kingdom in this way. The now and the not yet. Certainly wasn't what the Israelites were expecting who were listening to Jesus when he spoke. One of the reasons that the Pharisees, who were the religious rulers of the day uh, when Jesus was on earth, one of the reasons they got so confused and so angry with Jesus is he didn't fit their expectations for what God's king would look like. And the kingdom he proclaimed was not the kingdom that they expected. They expected that when the Messiah, when God's chosen king came into the world, he would set up a new kingdom of Israel. 
If we look at what it says in Luke chapter 17, once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. And it wasn't just the Pharisees who didn't get what Jesus was on about when it came to his kingdom. His own disciples took a long time to catch on too. In the first chapter of Acts, Jesus has died and has been risen from the dead, and he gathers his disciples to a hill outside Jerusalem. He is preparing to return to the Father. And we hear the disciples say this, Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the dates or times the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. So even at the point where Jesus is about to leave his disciples and go back into heaven, they are still thinking that the kingdom is going to be a physical kingdom that gets restored to Israel. It takes more time and it takes the coming of the promised Holy Spirit for them to start realizing what it is God is up to. And what is God up to? Jesus' disciple, Peter, he was there on the hillside that day with Jesus. He would later write in one of his letters this. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And Peter also goes on to write in that letter that the faith of those who follow Jesus is of greater worth than gold. If you go on to the next slide for me, Dan, you may have um, seen bowls like this. They're called kintsugi bowls. They're bowls that have been cracked or broken, but then fused back together with gold to make them even more beautiful. Our faith is beautiful to God. It has immense value to him, more value than gold. In Ephesians, um, in the passage that Ellie actually read to us at the end of our gathering last week, Paul writes, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God has decided that his kingdom on earth should be both now and not yet, because he wants to give time for people to come to know him. And because the lives and the faith of his followers have meaning and value. There are things that he wants us to do. As I've been preparing this talk over the last few weeks, a phrase that's just kept coming back to me again and again is, the journey matters. The journey matters. Perhaps there's a danger when we think about God's kingdom that 
we only think about the destination, or we only think about what's happening right here and now. But we need to hold on to both the present and the future. I just felt God saying again and again, the journey matters. Your life matters. The choices that you make matter. Your suffering matters. Your faith matters. Your story matters. God sees it. God sees you. This life is not just a waiting room for eternity. This journey matters. So in light of all that, let's go back to our passage again for today. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. So what does it mean to be God's people in this time of journey and waiting? One of the things I think it means is that we are called to be a people of hope and light. So you've probably realised by now, because I've already gone on about it, that I love Christmas. I love Christmas in pretty much all of its aspects. One of the things I really love about Christmas are the lights. I find winter days where you get up in the morning and it's dark, and then it's grey and cloudy and still dark, and then the sun, maybe you didn't see it all day, but it's gone down, and now it's really dark. I find that really hard. Some days I feel like it's been weeks since I saw the sun. I don't know if you feel like that. That's probably just because we live in Leeds. But I just feel like we never see the sun sometimes. And then I love in December the way that suddenly all these lights appear. And I doubt that I'm alone. My children were very, very happy to help us to put up the Christmas tree and all the decorations. And then they wanted to run a mile when we asked them to help take down the Christmas tree and the decorations. In January 2021, so right in the middle of the, the lockdowns. Um, obviously, you know, over Christmas 2020, we put up our Christmas tree and all our lights. When it came to take the Christmas tree and everything down in January 2021, I couldn't bring it myself to actually do it. So we left up quite a lot of our fairy lights for an entire year. We just had them up and then we just couldn't bring ourselves to take them down. So they just stayed up the entire year. And then it was only the following Christmas and the following January we actually took the fairy lights down because I just needed the lights. I needed them up. Of course, the message of Christmas is a light has come into the world that the darkness will never overcome. At Christmas, we read many of the prophecies about Jesus' coming, and one of those prophecies from the book of Isaiah is then quoted by Matthew in his gospel. The people living in darkness have seen a great light, and those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near, Matthew chapter 4. So one of the things about living in this time, when the kingdom of God has come, but has not yet been fulfilled, is that we're called to be a people of hope and light, to proclaim that the sun is rising and in time will be fully risen. That's not going to be easy. Not everyone likes the light. They want to stay hidden, carry on living however they want to live. But at the same time, people are desperate for hope and light. I want to be clear, though, that I don't think being people of hope is the same as everyone just being optimistic. Optimistic optimism is a really funny thing, isn't it? I think sometimes you know, people get pegged as being optimistic or pessimistic. For me, I think it has a lot to do with who I'm with. Um, 
I'm generally more optimistic than my husband, Matt, so if we're having a debate about something, I will generally take on the role of the optimist, and he will be the pessimist. Not always, but quite often. On the other hand, my mum is so insanely positive about just about everything that if I'm having a discussion with her, I will probably play the role of a pessimist because she is just always so optimistic, just to try and provide some balance to our discussions. I think there's a danger that we can think God only likes optimists, that we have to be seen to be positive all the time. I don't think that's true. The Bible doesn't say anything about positive thinking. It says we will know the truth, and the truth will set us free. Being a people of hope doesn't mean ignoring our emotions or the reality of what's going on around us. So I want us to return to our passage again and just consider this for a moment. Because I think there's a danger that we could misunderstand a verse like the one in our passage today, where Jesus says, do not be afraid. And we could hear that as a command, that if we are somehow anxious that that's displaying a lack of trust and that we are committing a sin. For anyone who's experienced anxiety, and I suspect that's all of us, then we know that anxiety isn't an emotion you can just shut down by telling yourself, I will not be anxious. And if we start down that path, we can end up just heaping guilt on top of our anxiety. And we live in a very anxious world. Um, Deloitte uh, did a survey in the last couple of years, um, and in their survey, they found half of millennials and Gen Zs in the UK feel anxious or stressed all or most of the time. That's slightly higher than the global average, but the global average is still pretty scary. Uh, globally, 41% of millennials and 46% of Generation Z say they feel stressed or anxious all or most of the time, according to the survey of 23,000 millennials and Gen Zs across 45 countries. There's a lot of anxiety around. And perhaps as you face 2023, you are feeling anxious, whether that's finances, a relationship, climate change, health, whatever it is, the first thing to know is that anxiety is absolutely not sinful. I want to be really clear, this passage isn't saying that being anxious is wrong. Anxiety is a God-given part of our brains. Without it, we can't function. We'd actually be at considerable risk. And if you read Luke chapter 22 or any of the other accounts in the Gospels of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane before his crucifixion, you can see that Jesus experienced fear and anxiety. And Jesus was without sin. So let's lay aside any suggestion that anxiety is sinful. Will van der Hart um, is someone who runs something called the Mind and Soul Foundation, which is a really helpful website. It's got loads of resources around faith and mental health. And he writes this, anxiety has a purpose. It's your brain's way of grabbing your attention and focusing it on something that might be important. Anxiety is triggered when there is uncertainty in your future and the possibility that something bad might happen. You see, anxiety functions very much like a smoke alarm. Its job isn't to tell you there definitely is a problem, just that there could be. It gets the higher level part of your brain, the thinking bit, to check it out and decide what you need to do. So it could be a fire, but all too often, just like when your smoke alarm goes off, it's something else. Someone has burned the toast or left the grill on. You don't need to act or react. You just need to do the emotional equivalent of the smoke alarm dance, you know the one where you fan at it frantically, whatever is to hand to stop it beeping. 
So if we're feeling anxious about something, that might be because we do need to do something about the thing that's making us anxious. We might need to see a doctor or pick up the phone to get some financial advice or ask someone for help with something we can't manage on our own. But sometimes we're also worried about things outside of our control and that anxiety can become debilitating. Or we can run away from the things that make us anxious, but then the fear of those things can just grow. We all experience being afraid. We can't eradicate fear from our lives, but usually we can choose how we respond to it. I say usually because if you're someone who's struggling with chronic anxiety, you're going to need extra help and support, and if that is you, I'd really encourage you to seek that extra help that you need. But for most of us, we do have a choice about how we respond to fear and anxiety. I've heard it said we can't be fearless, but we can fear less. I know for me, the default, if I'm afraid, is probably to run away and hide from the thing that's making me frightened. So what can we learn from this passage that can open up alternatives to that? Let's read the verses again. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. It's important to understand the context in which we find these verses. Jesus has just told a parable, that's a story with a meaning, about a rich fool. And the rich fool in the story, he was doing very well for himself. He had a bumper harvest, and so he decided to tear down the barns that he owned and build bigger ones so that he could store all of the wealth he'd accumulated. And then he could kick back and just relax. But in the story, that night his life was demanded from him. And Jesus asked who would get all that he'd prepared for himself. And then Jesus goes on to tell his disciples not to worry about what they would eat or what they would wear, but instead seek first God's kingdom and all those other things would be given to them as well. I think it's important to notice what this passage is saying about what's valuable to God. In worldly kingdoms, gold is valuable, silver is valuable, money has value. But in this kingdom, people are valuable. Many of you will know the story of St. Lawrence. He was in charge of all the church's treasure in Rome in the 3rd century AD, during a time when Christians were being persecuted by the Roman Empire. And the emperor of the day gave Lawrence three days to round up the church's wealth and hand it over. One account says Lawrence worked swiftly. He sold the church's vessels and gave the money to widows and the sick. He distributed all the church's property to the poor. On the third day, the emperor summoned Lawrence to his palace and asked for the treasure. With great aplomb, Lawrence entered the palace, stopped, and then gestured back to the door where, streaming in behind him, poured crowds of poor, crippled, blind, and suffering people. These are the true treasures of the church, he boldly proclaimed. One early account even has him adding, the church is truly rich, far richer than the emperor. So the context for Jesus saying, do not be afraid, was specifically around provision. Jesus was asking his disciples not to set their hearts on worldly desires, on things that will wear out, that thieves can steal away, and instead store up treasure in heaven. To seek first God and his kingdom 
means God's reign and rule in our lives. It means loving God and loving people more than we love stuff. One of the first things we can do when we're faced with anxiety is re-examine what we think is important and what it is that we're putting first. And secondly, I think this passage is reminding us to trust in the king who gives us the kingdom. Because in this kingdom, the king is with us. In most earthly kingdoms, the king or the queen, they live in a palace. They live behind gates. They are far removed from their people and from the realities of their subjects' lives. But not in this kingdom. In God's kingdom, our king is with us. He is, as we've been thinking about over Christmas, Emmanuel, God with us. So the image Jesus is using when he uses the words little flock is one of a shepherd who is living with and guiding their sheep. In John 10, it says, Jesus says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. You are loved by the king. You matter to him. He knows how many hairs you have on your head. In 1 John 3, it says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. And later on in 1 John 3, it says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. When Jesus is saying, do not be afraid, he's saying, trust in me. Trust in my love for you. I think it's important to know that it's, the two things aren't mutually exclusive. I think it's possible to be both afraid and to trust in Jesus. I think Jesus tells his listeners, don't be afraid, because he knows they are afraid. You can feel afraid, but also trust in him. In Psalm 56, verse 3, it says, When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Not when I was afraid, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. And in John 14, Jesus repeats this message again. He says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. This is not a peace that comes from everything being okay and there being nothing to worry about. This is a peace that comes from being in relationship with Jesus and knowing his love for us. I don't want to pretend that everything is okay when everything is not okay. It's not okay that more people are falling into poverty. It's not okay that people I love are sick. There are lots of things in this world that are not okay. Being a Christian doesn't mean looking on the bright side. Instead, it means looking to Jesus, asking, us, asking him to fill us with his spirit and give us his peace. And then we can reflect God's light into the darkness and the hope of a future kingdom in the midst of all the difficulties of life right now. Whatever emotions you are feeling this morning, I really encourage you to bring all of them to Jesus. Not just the nice, pretty emotions. God sees all of you. If the Psalms tell us anything, it's that God is okay with people bringing their whole selves to him and everything that they're feeling. 
So I don't want 2023 to be a year where I run from the things that scare me or just avoid anything that seems scary. To be honest, if that was the case, I'd probably have to take shelter under a rock anyway with my fingers in my ears. So my aim for 2023 is not to be unafraid. Instead, my aim is to be brave. I want to hear God's call to journey with him, trusting that this journey with him matters. I want to step out into situations that are scary and uncertain, trusting that God will be with me as I do, that he will give me the words to say at the moments that I need them, that he will show me where to walk when I don't know the way. And I pray that would be the case for you too. That as we step out, not unafraid, but trusting in God to be with us, we will see his kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. And that then we can be a people of hope who proclaim the dawning of the day and that the day will soon be here.